everyone. Uh, well done, Ali, thank you. you know, Lord willing, in, a, in the next decade or so, some of you will be having your own children, and when you do, you know, there are some good baby names in that list. Uh, uh, we are starting Matthew's Gospel. We're going to read through Matthew together over the next, I know, several years probably, because it's our practice in term one every year to start with a gospel. To start with, uh, well, we want our first years to meet Jesus. Um, a lot of first years have moved into campus today. There's a welcome dinner for Marty, so a lot of them are there. Um, uh, this passage should help us work out how to welcome them into our family. So as we begin, let me pray for us. Our loving Father, thanks very much that you've spoken to us in your word and by your spirit. And please help us to see the Lord Jesus clearly tonight in Matthew chapter 1. Amen. Caitlin's got a slide for you. What do you think this is? What's that? Some wide eye. No one wants to read with hazard a guess. It is not a wiring diagram, Will. I have no idea what a wiring gut diagram looks like. It is close, Izzy. It is a family. This is a family. This is a family tree. Uh, it's a diagram of a, of a family. It's not just tracking who begat whom, though. It's tracking relationships. Uh, it's tracking interactions across generations. And what the diagram shows us is a messy family. Each line is a different style or a different way of relating. Um, you can see that one parent loads all of their anxieties onto the third child. You can see that one sibling wants a relationship with their sister, but the sister just isn't interested. You can see one grandparent was an only child uh, who struggled to cope with the pressure from their parents. This is a family diagram. How would you diagram your family? What would your family diagram look like? Where are the tensions? Where are the joys? Where are the disappointments? Where are the comforts? Every family is messy, isn't it? There is no perfect family. One of the most exciting things about starting uni is you get to move away from your family. One of the hardest things about lockdown was that you had to move back to your family. Uh, families are messy. And messy families, well, they shape us as people, don't they? They shape us as people. We resemble our family, not just physically, uh, but in our behaviours and our desires and our expectations. Some families are super close, they're really tight-knit and they're always in each other's pockets. And if that's your family, then you're shaped to be like that. You're probably <coughs> studying ag because you're from a farm and you're going to go into the family business and you hate the idea of moving away from your family. But other families are more separate, more like a collection of individuals that might meet each other in the kitchen once a week. And if that's your family, you're shaped to be like that. You probably are studying nothing to do with what your parents do. You probably can't wait to leave your hometown. Some families are super close and you hate it. You can't wait to leave your hometown. Our, our messy families shape us as people. Parents in particular have a huge effect on their kids, don't they? Who blames their parents for their problems? <laughs> that was meant to be a rhetorical question, I think. Don't you think your parents' anxieties and insecurities and expectations have a profound effect on who you are today? There's finally someone to blame for who you are today. Who do you think your parents blame for who made them? They blame their parents, and they blame their parents, and they blame their parents. 
it's not just your immediate family that shapes you, it's your family back through generations that shapes you into who you are. My family is shaped by convict transportation, by the Gundagai flood of 1852, by the geography and history of Sydney. All of that makes me, me. All of that is why I am messy. Because my family is messy. And it seems like I'm stuck this way. I'm destined to repeat the mistakes of my parents, repeat the mistakes of my grandparents. So what hope do I have when I'm stuck in this cycle of messiness? What hope do we have to escape? I don't know if we need to escape. But the answer in Matthew chapter 1 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew begins his biography of Jesus with his own version of this family diagram. Uh, But in the first century, the diagram looks less like a circuit board, um, more like a list. But Jesus' family diagram, well, it's just as messy as ours. And I think that this gives us hope. Gives hope to messy people from messy families even today. So Caitlin's going to show you where we're going tonight. We're going to look at the royal family, the messy royal family, the messy royal family of King Jesus. We'll start at point one, the royal family. Uh, on your subject outline as well. The uh, outline is in there. Uh, the royal family. Matthew begins his biography of Jesus with a list. Any list fans here? There are a couple of list, list fans. Matthew's a list fan. He loves a good list, doesn't he? And he's so organised that he's organised his list very carefully. In fact, in verse 17, Matthew tells us just how carefully he has organised his list. Look at verse 17. He says... And all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew's organised his list into three groups of 14 generations. And I think this shows, that shows us instantly that, that Matthew has shaped his list. He's cultivated his list. This is not a complete family history of Jesus. He's had to leave people out. We can tell who he's left out from 1 Chronicles. There are more people in the list. So Matthew's (laughs) booted a few out of this list to make 14. To make 14. He's done it on purpose. Uh, He's organised this list very carefully, I think, to highlight the royal descent of Jesus. This is a royal family tree. Uh, Here's Matthew's point. He introduces us to Jesus for the first time, and he makes this point that Jesus is the king. Caitlin's going to show you what that looks like. This is a window from my mate's church in uh, Sydney. Jesus is the king. Let's leave that up there for, for the whole of point one to remind you that Jesus is the king. This is the royal family tree. And uh, because Matthew has organised his list into three groups, our attention is drawn to, to those hinge points between the three groups. Those hinge points. Who does Matthew highlight in verse 17? Abraham, David, the exile to Babylon, and then there's Jesus Christ. So we've got these important people, Abraham and David. In fact, right from verse 1, that's who Matthew told us was important. See verse 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew highlights Abraham and David as Jesus' ancestors to show us that Jesus inherits the royal promise. Right, just as our Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, inherited the crown from her father, so Jesus inherits the royal promises 
from his fathers. Abraham is important because he is the father of all of God's people. Right back at the beginning of Genesis, uh, God's great rescue mission begins with, with his promise to bless all of the earth in the family of Abraham. Abraham is important. David is important because he is Israel's great king. And uh, it's through him that God is going to bless all of the nations like he promised to Abraham. We read earlier, didn't we, of God's promise to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne how long? Forever. Forever. And this genealogy is, is Matthew tracing the fulfilment of that promise right the way down to Jesus, God's forever king. From Abraham, we trace the royal line through Judah in verse 3. In the scriptures, the royal family is from the family of Judah. In verse 6, we find David from verse 7 to 16. It's a big long list, isn't it? But this is the royal line. These are the kings of Israel. And it reaches its climax in verse 16 in Jesus. Jesus is God's promised king. This is the very first thing Matthew shows us about Jesus. He is the king. Whatever else Matthew says about Jesus for the next 28 chapters, it has as its foundation the fact that he is the king, that he is royalty. Jesus is God's long-promised forever king, which is why in verse 16 Matthew calls him the Christ. It's not his surname, it's his title. The Christ is the royal title for people anointed as king. Jesus is the king, and his family is the royal line. But just like your family and my family, his royal line is messy. So we're on to point two, the messy royal family. For starters, it's full of really despicable people. In my family, I've got convict ancestry. Oh, but that's nothing compared to Jesus. Well, uh, we've already mentioned one of them, haven't we? Abraham. What a loser that guy was. Show us Abraham. Okay, what's he look like? Look at him. What a piece of work that guy was. Do you know what he did? He pretended that his wife was his sister so that he wouldn't get killed for being her husband. He was out to protect himself and he put his wife in harm's way. And he did it twice. What a piece of work this guy. Imagine the, imagine the family dynamic in this family. It's awkward already, isn't it? There are people in this royal family who are worse than Abraham. What about David? Show us, show us David. There's David, look at him, looking saintly. No, he's a murderer. He is an adulterer. He is abusive. Matthew doesn't even try to hide this. Look at verse 6 in Matthew and see how he gets described. Verse 6, second half of verse 6. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife? Well, Matthew doesn't just tell us that David's son is born from another man's wife, whom he coerced. No, uh, no, he even names the man that David murdered, Uriah. And, uh, in, and she gives birth to Solomon. Imagine what Solomon's family diagram would look like. Can you imagine the lines in that family diagram? How could this behaviour from his father not shape who he is as a person? Well, it kind of does, doesn't it? Because... Solomon's got way too many wives to be healthy. In fact, it's not just about unhealthy uh, family dynamics, though they are on full display here. 
what we really see in Matthew's family tree of Jesus is sin, is wickedness. Let's talk about wickedness. Two of these guys killed their own sons. Ahaz did it and so did Manasseh. This is wickedness. And that's why the other major hinge that Matthew highlights for us is, it's not a person, it's the exile to Babylon. This is a a defining moment for God's people. Their national sin, their national wickedness is met by national punishment. National exile. They're kicked out of their land. And the royal family is is in disarray from this point on because... Look at this, this third group of, of kings, from verse 12 to verse 15. Who are they? Has anyone ever heard of Eliud or Matham? They don't appear anywhere else in the scriptures. They've, they've kind of sunk into nothing. They've gone from the great King David to Achim, whoever he is, all because of this family's rejection of God, all because of their sin or because of their wrongdoing. This family is very broken. It's obvious in this list, isn't it, how the, the sins and the actions of ancestors shape their descendants? Obvious. If sin has torn apart your family, know that it tore apart the family of Jesus as well. But Jesus' family tree is messy in so many other ways as well. We'll look at just one, and it's probably the most obvious, and it's the fact that there are women in the family tree. And yes, I know how babies get born. What I mean is that it's unusual for so many women to be listed so close together in a, in a genealogy. And so Matthew, it seems, is trying to draw our attention to them. Uh, which women can you see in this genealogy? Shout them out. Rahab. Rahab. Ruth? Mary. Yes, Mary. Uriah's wife. There's Uriah's wife. We might know her as Bathsheba. Tamar. Tamar. I count five. Anyone count more? No, not really. We've got these four women right at the beginning and then we wait a long time till we get Mary, don't we? These women make the family tree of Jesus quite messy. And it's not because they themselves are messy people. Uh, You might think that they're messy. Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar pretended to be one. More likely, I think they're victims of abuse and circumstance. In Jewish tradition, they're not actually considered messy at all. They're considered strong women. Strong, uh, assertive women who we should imitate. They play important parts in God's plan. So what's actually messy about these women is that they're foreigners. They are all foreigners. They're not Jewish. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth is a Moabite. Bathsheba is a Hittite. These women are foreigners. They're outsiders. And they have no place in the royal line of God's people. might not seem quite right to us who live in a multicultural society. But you've got to understand that in first century Palestine, the purity of your ancestry It's a big deal. And here in the royal family of Jesus the Christ, there's a collection of people who really shouldn't be there. People who are foreigners, who are outsiders. The royal family is messy. So what does that tell us? 
about the king who we meet at the climax of the family tree. Let's have a think about it in point three, which is the messy royal family of King Jesus. Your family shapes who you are. Jesus' family shapes who he is. Doesn't in fact the whole uh, national history of Israel that he enters into that shapes who he is and what he does. But it doesn't shape Jesus in the same way our families shape us. Jesus comes from a family of sinful, of wicked, of messy people, but it doesn't mess him up. He is the perfect king. He is the human who does everything right. He is the human who breaks the cycle of messiness and of sin. He's not a parent who loads his anxieties and insecurities and hopes and dreams onto the next generation. No, just the opposite. He is the human that redeems the next generation, who redeems all generations. Jesus comes from a family of messy and sinful people to heal them and to redeem them from their sin. So Jesus' family tree shows us the kind of people who are welcome in Jesus' family comment from a New Testament scholar Patrick Schreiner. He says, the family from which Jesus comes reveals the family for which Jesus comes. People from broken families are welcome in the family of Jesus. People who sin are welcome in Jesus' family. People who have been sinned against are welcome in Jesus' family. Outsiders are welcome in Jesus' family. Liars are welcome. Adulterers are welcome. Prostitutes, victims of assault, of circumstance, desperate people are welcome in Jesus' family. Murderers are welcome. Well, that makes me a bit uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to be in the same family as a murderer. But, friends, that is exactly the point. This family is a family of grace. It is a family of forgiveness. It is a family of redemption. It's a family of change where we are shaped not by our, our parents who shape us um, so much as by our king and by his Holy Spirit who shapes us more and more into his likeness. If you are messy, it can feel like you are not welcome in the family of the king. But the family of the king is already full of messy and broken and wronged and desperately sinful outsiders. So thanks be to God who invites us into his perfect family. This is the kind of family that we want to be on campus this year. Isn't it? This is the kind of church, in fact, that we already that we already are, a place where messy people are welcome and loved and encouraged to follow our perfect King. I think Matthew's genealogy here should lead us to expect the church to be filled with, with messy and sinful and hurting people. But what we see in the rest of Matthew's biography of Jesus, the next 28 chapters, we see how Jesus redeems his family from this history, from sin. He lives the perfect life that his ancestors didn't. He does properly what the nation of Israel couldn't, he dies a death that he really shouldn't. And 
by that he creates a family of grace in which you and I are welcome. Let me pray and thank our Lord for his grace to us. Our loving Father, what kindness you have shown us in our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Our Lord Jesus Christ, your long-promised King. Thank you, Father, for your love and grace to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and welcomed us into the family of the redeemed. Amen.